We're continuing our series in the Gospel Changes Everything. And we are in kind of a mini-series within the series. I'm getting choked up. <coughs> Excuse me. We're in, I, was, I was supposed to cough my arm, wasn't I? Dang. We're in a mini-series about politics. Just for a few weeks, the Gospel Changes Everything is an opportunity for us to look at how this has changed our purposes, where we seek wisdom, and also we're looking today, last week and today, at what that looks like as we engage politically and especially right now as we're thinking through what it looks like in an election season. We're going to get to look at all sorts of other things, how we engage people around us, tension around us, um, and what, are, what does it really look like to be uh, world changers uh, who've been changed by the gospel. Um, we've uh, started this. Uh, we'll get past here. Here we go. We started this last week by looking at, by stopping and, and, and remembering what it means to be blessed. And this week we're going to look at what it maybe looks like to be a blessing. What does that 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 look like? We, we thought about, we're thinking about what it looks like to be filled with the gospel, to be blessed by God because of the gospel of Jesus, that he's died and risen and is on his throne, that we have King Jesus what does that mean then to overflow that and be a blessing? And so we looked at last week was a passage in John 18 when Jesus was before Pontius Pilate, right before he was uh, sentenced to death to, to die for us. Uh, and Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. And then Pilate says, oh, you're a king then. And we remember that Jesus is the king, right? Not just a king. And what a blessing it is in a time when we're called for our allegiance to different political parties or different issues or platforms to remember the blessing that it is that Jesus is our king. And that then out of that, we get to overflow and work through those issues and those platforms and, and help care for our community, which we're going to look at today. But first, we have to start with the gospel that Jesus is king. And that is where our allegiance and our hope and our future lies. So Jesus then is crucified on a cross. He goes in the ground. He's buried. He ultimately is doing battle with death and sin and Satan, and he wins. He triumphs over that. He raises from the dead, and he <clears throat> comes back to his people, unites his army to go back in the world and bring not destruction and death and sin, but life and love and light. To bring darkness out of places and light in there and to bring love to the lonely and to kick down the gates of hell in communities. And he does this um, as before he ascends to take his throne as king in heaven, he stops his disciples and he says what we call the Great Commission. He commissions us out. It's like he gathers his army and says like, let's go, let's do this. I'm leaving, and now you get to go bring this good news. So then Jesus came to them and said, this is in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, right? Because he's, he's king. All authority in heaven and earth was given to Jesus. And then he says, now you go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. He says, now go and make disciples. He doesn't say go and make people do the right thing. He says, go and make people 
follow me because life comes from me. And he says, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's a, that's a way to signal to the world a symbol in that baptism that we're now part of God's family. Go and, and gather people into my family, the family of life, the family of light, not of darkness, family of life, not of death. He says, gather them in and then teach them to obey everything I've commanded. Not to just follow rules, but as soon as they're in the family, then teach them what it looks like to be in the family of God and what brings life and thriving and flourishing in our communities. This is just this is the same as we looked a few weeks ago when we started this series at uh, what we call the creation mandate. Ultimately, to be blessed by God and to be a blessing to others. As we see this covenant continue throughout scripture, God says, I'm going to bless you, and he has in Jesus, and I am gonna want you to go and be a blessing to others. And that's to bring the good news of Jesus and to teach them how I've created the world, what life actually looks like, which we see in the word of God. So we get the opportunity then to do this. So this is our call, our call to man. So first and foremost, our mission is to make disciples, is to bring the gospel so people would have life and they would understand that love and purpose comes through Jesus. And then we also, so then we get to think through what does that look like if the gospel changes who we are and changes our purpose and mission, what does that look like when we politically engage? And so today we want to look, what does it look like to overflow, right? To overflow, be filled, and now overflow a blessing in a political realm. What is that, what is that going to look like? It, and I don't, I, I don't necessarily know. And so the last few weeks, especially, I've been taking a lot of time to read and listen, articles, books, talk to different people from different political spectrum, on the political spectrum, people who love Jesus and are trying to figure this out and think through this and discern what God's word would say about this and how do we engage. And so today I'm just excited to bring to you uh, a few things that I found helpful, I think will help us to engage and love people well, but also to even engage our own hearts and our own lives. Ready for this? I'm calling this ton. Today, politics can be a ton of fun. I I tried really hard to think of a cooler word for this. And right, there's different ways you could use these letters. We're sticking with ton, misspelled ton. Okay. So today we're going to look at three ways that we could engage in uh, politics. First, letting the gospel land, letting the gospel fill us, and then how can we overflow, and what does that look like? And after looking at lots of different people's thoughts on this, I was really encouraged. Many had the same thoughts, and it really lifted the burden of some of this off of me uh, and not feel like I had to change the world or save the world, but I, 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 can, I can do this. And so my, my prayer today is that as we look at the ton of being a blessing politically, um, we can, we can engage. So this is so, this is so goofy. Uh, but uh, just follow along, please, with me. The, the T in ton is truth and love. Truth and love. Now let's look at a passage here. This is from Ephesians 4. Uh, this, this idea of truth and love or truth and grace is, is all over Scripture. 
But we're going to look at Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 is a great passage to look at when thinking about how do we engage in lots of things. Um, Ephesians 4 is right when the book of Ephesians changes. So the book of Ephesians really is set up as a, here's why you were blessed in the gospel. Now, what does it look like in your life to play it out? It's a great book to read through over and over because it reminds us first to understand who God is and who we are, how we are saved and brought from death to life. And then he says, so then if that's true, here's what happens. And Ephesians 4 is kind of right when that's twisting, when that's changing. And he starts saying what it looks like. And so we're going to look at Ephesians 4 today. Let's look here. Ephesians 4, we're going to start at 14 here. Then we will no longer be infants tossed. This is after the gospel gets us, right? After our cup is full. We will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. I might be a little strong. That feels a little political season-like. Tossed back and forth, not knowing what to think or where to land or whose allegiance do I give. Uh, craftiness of people. Who can speak the best? Who doesn't speak very well? Who can convince you through maybe a flyer in the mail or a commercial? I don't know if those actually convince. Those just make me sad. And then that makes me want to turn to someone else, right? So this this wave, and uh, we hear in Ephesians something else. Instead of being tossed, speaking the truth in love, by speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. We will grow towards being more like Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does. So our first stop on the ton is truth and love. And the first uh, and such an important part of engaging politically, how the gospel changes how we engage and how we think about it is understanding truth and love. Um, in his book, uh, Justin Gibney, his book, Compassion and Conviction, which is about this, how to engage politically as a Christian, I've been very encouraged by this book. Um, and uh, I'll send out some of these links and resources that have been helpful to me as you can continue to engage yourself. Um, but he says this, our political decisions must demonstrate love for our neighbors, love for our neighbors, while observing the timeless truths God has revealed to us in Scripture. Not just demonstrate love for neighbor, but also we have to observe truth of God. Our decisions for uh, an election and how we will vote do matter because they do change people's lives, people that we love, people in our neighborhoods, maybe people that we should be loving, the people God loves dearly and has given Jesus to save are changed by how we do vote. And so it is important for us to consider this, not blow it off. It doesn't matter anyway. This is nuts. <clears throat> or, or, or think too much of it, that this is the thing, the only thing that will change people's lives. So voting is important, and we must think about it in this, uh, in truth, and love. And so not only do we do we consider it as an opportunity to show love, but we need to think of it as truth um, and love. I recently, thinking about these words, I recently saw an exchange online that I 
normally kind of walk away from because it, it makes me mad or sad, but I or both, but it, um, it had someone actually used these terms. Someone was uh, criticizing someone else um, and saying this other Christian, I, I don't even know if they are a Christian because of their watered down gospel. Because this person had been posting pictures of them protesting racial injustice. And they said, all they care about is loving people. And they've abandoned the truth of God. They actually said they're loving people to hell. Um, because they, this person didn't feel that they were holding enough truth. And then a response in there, um, which cleared it all up, right? Of course, a comment in there said, <clears throat> This person is a Christian, and you're not a Christian because you don't love people. All you care about is truth. Wild, huh? So in the same exchange, you all you care about is loving people. Your gospel is watered down. All you care about is truth. Your gospel is watered down. And so in a sense, they're both saying the gospel is just about loving people. The gospel is just about holding on to God's timeless truth. What, what I'm encouraging you with, let's consider the truth in love. Let's consider what that looks like to have those connected. Tim Keller says it this way, love without truth is sentimentality, being sentimental, overly emotional and lacking substance. And truth without love is harsh. Think about this. Just loving without a, a, the truths of God the basis of how things are to work. If you, if I just follow my heart, I'm going to do things God did not design that actually will bring death and not life. But if I just do truth without loving people, it can be quite harsh. I, I think of years ago, I was at camp sitting with a kid um, in a cabin, and this kid was a, a chatty, chatty kid. Um, talked all the time, didn't stop. And I was trying to figure out how to tell him this. And another kid in the cabin says, Hey man, you talk a lot. You should shut your mouth more. Okay. A lot of truth there. He does talk a lot. He probably should shut his mouth more. And someone else said, Hey man, you know, we love hearing your thoughts. It's really helpful. Um, but we can't hear other people's thoughts always. So uh, if you could just, so we can hear other people's thoughts, if you could be careful how much you talk, you know, I think he gave him a pat on the back, maybe a a side, you know, an awkward junior high side hug. Totally responds differently, right? There's a difference there in uh, in the harshness of just truth, truth bombs, and there's a difference in that truth with some love in it. And Tim Keller here warns us of that. We could double quote there. Um, I, I think of this also um, when. Uh, we were trying to teach, I was trying to teach uh, one of my daughters how to make lemonade. So we went to Chick-fil-A once and uh, one day, and we've been there more than once, but we went one time and uh, they were talking about, you want lemonade? And she said, how could this lemonade be so good? And um, it says the ingredients, right? On the lemonade, it just says like, this is just water and lemons and sugar. I said, that's all that's in it. So we came home and she wanted to make some lemonade and we didn't have lemons. So she put water and sugar into some water and said, well, it's, it's close, right? So we drank a little sugar water. 
It's okay. I mean, it's okay, right? It's sugar and water. It tastes sugar and water. It's not lemonade, though. And if we had just taken, come home and we had no sugar and just lemons, we probably would have just squeezed lemons into water and would have had lemon water. But it's not lemonade. And on a hot day when I've been working hard, I want lemonade, the right mixture of sugar and lemons and water to make it. The gospel is not just truth. It's not just loving our neighbors well. It's the combination of those, which is what makes it tricky and hard, right? The, that's the gospel. The, the watered-down gospel is the gospel with no truth or with no love, right? The gospel without truth and love is crummy lemonade. In fact, it's not lemonade. And so we want to look at what does that look like then? And so let's look back at this passage for a second as we uh, finish up our time on the tea, the truth and love. You get rid of this lemonade. Had enough of that. Let's look back at this passage. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here or there from every wind of teaching by cunning and craftiness of people. Here's what I want to be careful of. This passage isn't just telling us, hey, be careful. People are going to try to convince you to come to their side. Instead, you should speak truth in love. This passage is saying you're going to be tossed back and forth to put your hope in something other than Jesus. And that's where the problem lies. The truth and love comes from Jesus, both of those things. From God's word, how he created us, what he has made us, and how he brings life to people. What he commands in scripture. And his love also comes from Jesus. Through his word, through his sacrifice, and how he cares for all people. We must be careful of the cunning and craftiness that will lead us to think that only one party or one person or maybe just the person who isn't Satan from the other party will lead us to truly love people in truth. As we grow in love for Jesus and God's word, we will see through these calls that seem to end all brokenness with just a vote. Right? And we see that Jesus ends all brokenness. So how do we do this? I, I want to share just an example <clears throat> and maybe what this looks like. How do you seek out God's truth and then also seek out what it looks like to love people? Uh, here's, here's an experience I had. I looked to God's truth. I said, okay, what does God have? Okay, here's what I see. As I have read scripture and seen God, I see God loves his people and he values the lives of people from the womb to the tomb, right? All the way through. Now I just have to find the political party or a local politician or a group that values life from the womb to the tomb in all aspects of it, right? From unborn babies to single moms, from the highest of incomes to the lowest of incomes to the no incomes. The candidate who wants the best for people of color, people without homes, people with many homes, people who work in hard to just pay for their one home. And they see value in little ones and big ones, old ones and young ones. So easy, right? I just go online and I type in, who loves people from the womb to the tomb? Enter more confusion. Because there's no party 
that works for the interests of all people. So my vote for one person or platform or policy will not be able to care for all people from womb to tomb. So how do I vote? How do I engage? Because I don't want to vote for Satan's candidate. I want to vote for God's candidate. The word Christian has been hijacked and slapped onto every party, right? You're a Christian if you vote Republican. You're a Christian if you vote Democrat. Only Christians, all Christians have to vote for one or vote for the other. So what do we have to do? We have to take time, friends, to look at the truths of Scripture and what does God want for people. And we must take time to ask what our neighbor needs, how we can love our neighbor. We must take time to investigate the local and national platforms and parties and candidates, not assuming one party does it all and the other does it all. We must take time to ask God what is important to our community, our neighbor, and our country. In fact, this is the good news. God actually, um, in James 1, offers us this. In James 1, 5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, yeah, I need wisdom. You should ask God. Remember a few weeks back we talked about this in the Proverbs. You go to God first for wisdom. We should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. If we need wisdom, we go to God. So we go to God. How often in your political experience have you stopped, said, God, what what do you have in your truth? What do my neighbors need? Okay, I, I can see what's needed in my community. I can see what you have in your truth. How do those come together? There's not one person who can bring all of that and then say, God, I need your wisdom. And we just fall before our God and ask. He says in James 1, we can ask him. It says then, but you, but when you ask, you must not, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave on the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That sounds familiar. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. We can be stable and one-minded when we go to God and say, I need you alone. Not God, um, there's a lot of options. You're one of them. Can we go to God? And so I encourage us in our first, um, this is messy. This is not easy. There's no, I'm not giving you an answer of who to vote for, but I'm saying in truth and in love, which one maybe do you tend to lean towards? You tend to lean a lot towards, I want to love my neighbors and maybe consider truth of God. Or do you, do you think a lot about the truth of God and maybe in some harshness, not think about how to love neighbors? Maybe the truth of God to you is just a way for you to flourish and you haven't thought of it as how your neighbors flourish. Or maybe the way you love your neighbors isn't actually bringing life to them, just allowing them to do whatever their hearts desire. And so we get the opportunity to use truth in love to cast a vote. But here's the great news. We can trust. We can vote. We can set down our pencils. We can mail in our ballots. We can go and check in a voting booth. And we can walk out of there and trust that our God has creation in his hands. 
and then we can move on and we can move towards something else knowing that God has this and that your vote is important but isn't it and so we move not past truth and love and now we move to the you and politics can be a ton of fun the you is unity we're going to actually jump back up to the beginning this is actually from Ephesians 4:2 i think i have the reference wrong there and we're going to talk about unity a, a way that we can be a blessing not only is to seek truth and love that we can bless our neighbor by by seeking to vote in a way and engage in a way but also we can seek unity in the church so let's let's look at Ephesians 4 2 be completely humble and gentle be patient bearing with one another in love make every effort to keep the the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace there's one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope that you were called one Lord one faith one baptism one God and father of all who is over all and through all things we are called to unity. In, in, in the writing of Ephesians, God knew that when we are, even though we've all been saved by God, it wasn't our doing. Even though we have been brought together as a family of God from all different uh, diverse backgrounds, he knew that one of the problems we would have is continuing to be divisive. And so he calls us, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. We can be an enormous blessing to those around us, especially in a political season, especially when engaging politically, when we can keep the bond of unity, the bond of peace. It's our, it's our opportunity. Because here's how, how we've seen this play out. I, I had the opportunity to speak um, with a friend uh, and he's black. He grew up in, in a very different way that I grew up. And he commented to me how um, quickly he has been dismissed in this season because of how he has voted. And I said, well, what? And he said, you know, dismissed not, not, not that he engaged well, wisely, politically, dismissed as a Christian because he didn't vote Republican. I said, what? explain more of this. He tells me the story of growing up and sitting with his grandmother who would tell him black people vote for Democrats. And he said, okay, black people vote for Democrats. And it, and I remember hearing from people that black Christians weren't really Christian or weren't really passionate, especially about God's truth and reading their Bibles. And he said, this is exactly what I'm talking about, he shared how he had been called uh, not a real Christian because of how he voted. I said, well, that, that's really interesting. I, I, I don't really know a lot of that history. And he shared how his grandmother explained to him why he would vote. He, she said, when she was young and involved in the civil rights movement, and it came time to vote, some of the Republicans that she was voting for were running on a pro-segregation platform. And the Democrats were running on a desegregation platform. They wanted to eliminate segregation, 
allow black people to participate in all of society. And the Republicans were not in that moment in time in history. And so as a black woman in America at that time, she felt she had no choice who to vote for. And so in her experience, that political party helped bring about more freedom for her. And so for her, as a woman who loved Jesus and read her Bible and felt that that was an important call to love her neighbor and herself, she wasn't voting ignorantly or emotionally. She was voting what she felt was God's truth in love. And so since then, she continued to vote that way because in her experience, that vote changed her life and many others. And he was sharing the heartbreak it was to be called, be told he wasn't a Christian because of how he was voting. I think how important is it for us to know people's stories, to stop and listen, to not be a people who are divided over our vote or who we support, but a people who are united over who we give our allegiance to. In a world divided by so much, we can be such a light to so many because there is something that does unify us. We are a people of one hope, as we see in Ephesians, that cannot be shaken or changed, a hope that cannot be voted out of office, who is king forever, a hope that has rescued us from death, a hope outside of people or anything created by humans, a hope that stands firm. Friends, I think our unity that we can strive for, our listening to one another, our slowness to say words like, I don't know if you're a Christian in a, in a discussion about politics, that unity is an enormous blessing to a watching world that is diseased by division, that feels the pains of division and polarization. Not only that, Jesus tells us that people will know him. The Great Commission will be fulfilled by seeing us love one another, his diverse family that he has united and brought together. So friends, we have an opportunity in our unity to be a blessing by how well we do that with one another. Consider how well you do that already. Maybe with the people in your own church or your own small group or the friends you trust, you speak um, well or maybe not so well of other Christians. Consider how you speak to them and when you're not with them. Let's get going, though. We, I'm excited for the end here. Truth and love and unity and lastly, never stopping. Never stop. What does that mean? Let's look here. Um, actually, not in Ephesians. But here, consider this word. To be on your guard, to stand firm in your faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. Let's look at Eugene Peterson in the message. He says, keep your eyes open, hold tight to your convictions, give it all you've got, be resolute in love without stopping. Let's not be people who think 
our vote is our only opportunity to engage those around us. Let's not let a political season make us think this is the way that we change our world and our neighborhoods. It's, it's part, right? It's important. Let's not forget what actually changes things. Here's what I want you to think about. Consider um, the moment you take, you vote, right? You check the box, you fill it in, you mail it in, or maybe you go to a booth. And then you walk out, you get in your car, start your car. You put your hands on the steering wheel and you look up. And what do you see out your window? You see your neighbors, you see your community, you see businesses in your community, you see people in their homes and their apartments. You might see people sitting on the corner with a sign asking for help. Our love cannot stop, right? You might see a little bit of snow. Sorry, it's coming, right? But we look out and we see the world around us. I want you to consider whatever you passionately pursued in your pursuit of truth and what it looks like to love your community. The thing you said, I think this is what's going to drive how I vote. You'll work towards unity within the church. Use that, that work to, to continue moving in our community to be ones who bring light and life to our community. We started our um, church in January. We're not even a year old uh, using this phrase, for great joy in our city. I'm looking on the wall over here at my house. We have a poster on our wall that says, for great joy in our city, because we want to bring the good news of the gospel to Columbia Heights so that they would know great joy in our city. I have a map of our city that we've been highlighting and praying for. That doesn't stop because I've voted. That continues. So let's go and not stop loving our neighbors. Let's go continue in participating in those things that we are passionate about because of our work in truth and in love. Let's use the work of discerning a vote to know where we can direct our effort and our love and truth in our community. Maybe that means for you, you, you want to run for office or participate more in politics, or maybe that means you want to volunteer at a local food shelf or give money or time to a family crisis center. Maybe you just need to be compelled to ask your neighbor how they're doing, see what's important to them, hear their story. Maybe you need to move towards that person who seems to be lonely because others have pushed them away because of division and show them unity. I'm going to pray a prayer over us that Jesus prayed over us a long, long time ago. As we think about what, what this means, right? The, the T-U-N, whatever, whatever. Politics can be tons of fun, right? I don't know if that's how true that is, but, but we can use truth and love and we can remember to be united and we can never stop loving people well through that truth and love. And Jesus prays uh, an interesting prayer in John 17. Let's pray this, and then we're going to go to a time of communion and prayer as we wrap up our service. He prays this. I do not pray for these alone, not just the people he's with, 
but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. He's praying for us. It's wild. That they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they also may be one in us. He's praying that we would be as close as the Father and Jesus are to each other. The Trinity is to each other. That the world may believe that you sent me. And that our closeness, our unity, would cause people to know that Jesus came for them. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I am them and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Our, our togetherness today is going to bring people to know Jesus, which is really the hope of the world. As people are discouraged and there's disunity, even unrest because of political decisions, in less than a month, in just a few weeks, there'll be an election. And after that, there'll be people who are wrecked by that. So disillusioned, so upset, so sad, so angry. And there'll be people who are so thrilled and hopeful. And, and all that is for nothing if their hope is not in the one that actually brings about life. And so let our unity, let our love, let people know that there is that one.